Madison. Imagine it's an early March day in the Northeast. Temperatures in the mid-50s make it clear warm weather is on the horizon. And as a light sprinkle of spring showers start to fall, you begin to imagine all the cute sundresses you're about to bust out of the back of your closet. But before you can fantasize too much about all the outdoor concerts you're going to attend or the rooftop happy hours you're booking, the rain turns to snow, which then suddenly and violently turns into a blizzard that lasts three days. Once the air clears, you'll find that up to 55 inches of snow has accumulated, thousands of livestock have perished, 200 ships are wrecked, and 400 people have died. Uh, I think I know where this is going. Oh, it's a disaster. I'm so intrigued. Uh, just wait, it gets worse. We are just the masters of disasters, aren't we? Calamity Janes. Welcome back to Calamity Janes, where two anything but plain Janes discuss calamity, disaster, mayhem. I'm your host, Madison. And I guess I'm your other host, Bailey. Yeah, how does it feel? I will never forget that you did that to me. The very first episode. It was our 13th episode, actually. Oh, you have your memory. You never let me live anything down. This is the curse of a sister. Yeah, I will never forget. Uh, okay, but anyways, that's our shtick. Here we go. Bailey's going to tell us a story this week, and it's going to be wonderful. I do have a heck of a story this week. We're going to be talking about the Great White Hurricane of 1888, which was a disaster sent via our website, calamityjanespodcast.com, from best friend of the show, Kels. We love it when you guys suggest disasters, so always feel free to send us an email or contact us through our website with whatever you want to hear more of. You guys don't understand how excited we get when someone contacts us about the show. (laughs) Truly, each and every time. Okay, are you ready, Moo? I am so ready, Boo. Good. So, let's set the scene. It's March 11th on the East Coast. It's almost your birthday. Oh, it is. I thought you were talking about right now, and I was like, "Are what are you? No, it's not. <laughs> Bailey's birthday is March 13th. Lucky 13. I love it when it's on Friday. I know. It's the best. The there best is birthdays. nothing better than a Friday the 13th. Truly. Truly. So, talking the East Coast, specifically the Northeast, the area between Maine and Washington, D.C., which, fun fact... In 1888, about one in four Americans lived in this region. In 1888? Yes. However, when in one of the sources where I read this, I was like, wow, that's really dense. But then I was like, wait, how many states were in the United States back then? And I, I, I was shocked. Did you know there were only 38? Um, I mean, I think a lot of them were established a lot later than most people probably think. Definitely, because then I was looking at those that were established afterwards, and I didn't. Re- I knew Alaska and Hawaii were, you know, 50s. late bloomers, right, right. But Arizona and New Mexico became states in 1912. I had no idea it was that recent. Yeah, I probably didn't realize the year, but I, yeah, 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 had no idea. <laughs> When I think of the year 1912, I think of the Titanic sinking, and I think of a fully formed United States. <laughs> the Titanic was on its way to a fully formed United States, and it wasn't. That is crazy to think about. I know. I just don't put those two things 
together in my brain. So fun history facts. Yes, one in four Americans lived in Northeast at that time, but it's just kind of a skewed representation based on what the United States actually looked like in 1888. That is very interesting. My knowledge of American history at this point in my life consists of what I've learned from Hamilton. Well, you got to start somewhere. (laughs) It's not all wrong. I mean, it's not all wrong. That's right. That's very right. Uh, Anyways, I like history. I'm not dumb, people. I promise. I just have been listening to Hamilton for a really long time now. (laughs) It's at the forefront of my mind. Okay, Bailey, take it away. Let's do this. I need Lin-Manuel Miranda to make a musical about calculus because that I would learn. Do you need to know calculus on the daily? I mean, I don't need to know about Alexander Hamilton, but now that I do, my life is better for it. That's true. I am a better person now that I know. Actually, now that I know about Eliza Hamilton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just think there's probably lots that we don't know about calculus that maybe we could benefit from. And I want more music. They get stuck in my head. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anywho. Now, like I mentioned in the intro, the weather was clocking in at around the mid-50s, so it seemed like spring was around the corner. Pleasant. Yeah, but nature had other plans. As it always does. The collision of a frigid Canadian air mass with warm air from the Gulf created a deadly storm that produced hurricane-like gusts up to 85 miles per hour and produced so much precipitation that whiteout conditions persisted for three days. Some sources say this was actually a series of three storms that happened to hit back to back, but for the sake of consistent marketing of this whole megastorm. Yes, we're going to go with one historical Great White Hurricane. Wow. Okay. Whiteout conditions for three days straight. Yeah. Yeah. And they say, that's why they say it's like three different storms, is because they, at first, it, some sources are like it was for 24 hours for the first time. Then there was a break. Then there were you know, more storming and such and so forth. Well, it could be the same storm system with breaks, I guess. I, I don't know. I, the, that's very interesting. I'm just trying to imagine what whiteout conditions for essentially three days, what that would really be like. It would be horrifying. It would be so scary. Yeah. Yeah, especially back then when, I mean, it's scary now, but imagine not having some of the modern comforts that we have. And we'll talk about that. Oh, okay. I'm ready. Okay. Well, believe it or not, weather prediction in 1888 wasn't what it is now. So not you only did people... Say. Yeah, go. Yeah, they didn't have the Weather Channel back then. Can you believe it? Those poor, unfortunate souls. I know. Um, So not only did people not see this storm coming, but they didn't anticipate how quickly it would blow in or when it would end. I, uh, yeah, because when you're in the middle of a storm like that now, the only thing that's getting you through it is knowing that it's going to end sometime soon. And to have a sustained, like, intense storm like that, yowza. It made me realize how much I rely on radar. Like, oh, yeah, whenever a storm, rain, thunder, whatever, I like looking at the radar controls so much of how I operate that day or that night or what to expect the next day if it's happening over. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, how big is this storm? Yeah. 
Well, and it's just fun to watch, too. Well, that is sound said like a true Weather Channel enthusiast. Hey, don't knock it till you try it. I'm not. Everyone has their thing, and the Weather Channel is yours. Yes, absolutely. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I always, I, I didn't realize how enthusiastic you might be. I should have known that you'd be enthusiastic. I genuinely thought that everyone liked looking at the radar until the words (laughs) left my mouth. I thought that was something that everyone liked doing. Why else would they offer it on the weather channel? If on the website, I don't know. Okay. Okay. I genuinely thought that everyone liked doing that. It's not an unpleasant experience, but like in my spare time, do I think, gosh, I wonder what the radar looks like right now? You really don't do that? You really don't pull it up just to like look at it sometimes? No. Do you? Yes. At least two or three times a day. Are you you serious? (laughs) Yes. How did I not know this about you? You look at the radar three times a day? Yeah. It's so interesting. I mean, if it's like a sunny day... No, but if there's anything else going on, I'm very interested. Don't even get me started on the lightning strike map. Oh my god! <laughs> I bet on a sunny day in your region, you like go storm hunting in other towns just to see what's up. <laughs> okay, I don't, but I've thought about doing that before. Oh my god! <laughs> no, my enthusiasm for storm chasing has changed over the years. Uh, no, when the sirens went off over the summer and I had to go get my baby from her crib with the power out and go sit downstairs and hope that nothing bad happened. I was like, oh, this is kind of scary sometimes. And that changed me a little bit. But the radar, we're friends for life. (laughs) This is great to know. It will maybe help inform your Christmas list this year. I don't know. Now that I know you're this passionate about radar. Great. I love that. Well, like I said, back in 1888, they did not have radar. So many people, especially in bustling places like New York City, tried to go about their lives like things were business as usual. That sounds like such a New York attitude. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Always been that way. But many ran into multi-story snowdrifts that prevented elevated trains from running and left them stranded on train platforms. Because remember, this is pre-subway multi-story snow drifts multi-story so even oh. though you know the snow hadn't accumulated right off the bat the winds were so strong that it was you know blowing the snow up the sides of these buildings oh my gosh multiple stories yeah that reminds me of when we would have to shovel the snow out of our backyard in south dakota and because we had oh you south dakota okay i've been living in the midwest for too long (laughs) yeah you have (laughs) Uh, anyways when we were living there in our backyard it was just shaped in a way that we would get huge snow drifts because of the wind in the winter it was like a courtyard it was basically walled on three sides and it created a little vortex where the snow would literally swirl in this little square that we constituted our yard and we it would result in snow drifts that were several feet high um (laughs) and we had a yorkie who needed to go out in the backyard and so we ended up having to 
shovel this very narrow, very precarious path for her to get into the back. And one year while we were doing it, the door froze open and we had to chip away at it with knives to get the ice off of it was a sliding door and so snow fell in on the track of the sliding door and it froze because it was so cold and so windy and yeah i remember taking butter knives and like walking away at it (laughs) oh my gosh oh boy we had only lived in texas at that point so that was a new experience for us that was our first yeah our first winter in sioux falls south dakota and it was like the worst winter they'd had in how long? De- like decades or oh something. Oh my gosh, I have no idea. Like they, they named this winter. It was so bad there. <sighs> okay, so that's what I am. I can't even imagine though multi-story because those drifts would get up to like, I don't know, five feet, would you say? Yeah. And that well, was... Yeah, they wouldn't surpass the height of our house. Yeah. But the... Oh, wow. Okay. Fascinating. Yeah. Yes. Up to 15,000 people were stranded on the trains alone. But don't worry, kind-hearted citizens were there with ladders to help people down for a small fee. (gasps) No. Yeah. Yeah. No. There are stories of some people who were like, well, I have a ladder if you have a dime or (gasps) something along those lines. (laughs) I don't know what the going rate for a help down from the platform was. Oh, my gosh. That's. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, there are other examples of this we'll get to. And speaking of opportunists, P.T. Barnum happened to be stranded in New York for this storm and was reported to have entertained people stranded in Madison Square Garden. And to be fair, it isn't clear from any of these sources that he charged people for this entertainment. But, but it wouldn't surprise me. I'm just going to assume. Yeah. P.T. Barnum was kind of a trash person, so I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. I love me some Greatest Showman. I was actually just binging that soundtrack the other day, but... Oh, Hugh Jackman's P.T. Barnum is a completely yeah. different reality than yeah, yeah. actual But then P. when T. I Barnum. actually looked up who P.T. Barnum was and I was like, oh, hmm, we'll just leave that there. He he was uh, alleged to have entertained people um, throughout this And exploit event. people. Yes. <laughs> um, what else? Uh, just for, you know, to get an idea of the magnitude of the impact of the storm, only 30 out of 1,000 traders were able to make it to the stock exchange, which meant that oh. Wall Street closed for the all three days of the blizzard. Oh. And yeah, I mean, Wall Street doesn't close ever, even today. Certainly Never. didn't back then. No. Never sleeps. The East River separating Manhattan and Queens froze over, which tempted some to cross on foot. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. That was a bad call because changing tides broke up the ice and mm. it stranded people on ice floes. Oh, oh no. Were they okay? Did they make it? Um, There is no specific story about people, uh, no specific count of these people in general. In total, 200 people alone were killed in New York City. Ah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. So... Hugely impactful everywhere. And uh, just kind of a random aside, Mark Twain is another celebrity who was stranded in days for New York. Oh, Yeah, and there are either journal entries or I think it's a letter to his wife where he's like peeved that he can't see his wife. Aw. But that's kind of it. I mean, I'm sure it was really well well written because it's Mark Twain. But yeah, he's nothing is naturally sensationalist or showy as P.T. Barnum. Mm. 
How could it be an actual exactly. showman? The greatest showman, if you will. Per- some would call him <laughs> the greatest showman. Yeah. So all of that is awful. Mm-hmm. But now let's talk about what happened in other parts of the Northeast. Oh, along the coast. Oh. Along the coast, high winds and heavy waves sunk around 200 ships, oh. leaving, yeah, 100 people lost at sea. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a new fear, being lost at sea in whiteout conditions. Yeah. Um, I mean, 200 ships, and granted, it's not like these are all large ships or all, I'm sure it's a mixture of ship sizes, but 200 of them. That's a lot of ships. Very many ships. And in those treacherous conditions, I mean, ugh, yes. Oh, so horrible. Ah. Ugh. Okay. Say something else. Well, more rural areas were hit particularly hard, crippled by food shortages and isolation for much longer than in urban areas. In many rural places, people began their days going to work and school as normal, but soon were sent home given the rapidly growing severity of the storm. But because they had a greater distance to travel, being, you know, more out in the country, and the storm was so bad so fast, Uh, many of them nearly died getting home. Oh my gosh. A few never made it. Uh, ah. Yeah. An account from a man named Art Bosford, who worked at a clock factory in Harwinton, Connecticut, trudged through waist-high snow, unable to see 10 feet in front of him. Oh, my gosh. And he made it home safe, but two of his coworkers nearly died in their 10-mile trek home <gasps> as their horse became stuck in a snowdrift, and then, when they freed him, dropped dead shortly after. Uh, oh, Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my yeah. gosh. They ultimately made it home safely, climbing through these snowdrifts and over walls and like just trying to take the most the straightest path home. Uh but they were severely frostbitten and it took three weeks for them to get back to work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Which as we'll see is I mean, probably couldn't have gotten back much sooner anyway, just given what all this did elsewhere. So they're kind of like the only people to truly be able to claim the, when I was your age, I had to walk uphill both ways in the snow kind of thing. Literally. Yeah. Literally. I'll give that to them. They had those rights for the rest of their lives. If they didn't hold that over somebody's head for the rest of their lives, I'd be disappointed. You and me both. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, once the snow stopped falling, clearing it became another issue altogether. Because remember, snowplows are not a thing yet. At least motorized snowplows. Yeah. Horsepower. Literal horsepower. Horsepower. Literally. Uh, So people were stranded on trains for days. Some were left digging themselves out of their own homes. Yeah. Uh. And some, like those living in the Berkshires, which I honestly... The only context I have for the Berkshires is the Real Housewives of New York, so I have no idea (laughs) what goes on in the Berkshires besides um, summer house parties for people who actually live in Manhattan. Um, But they weren't able to leave their homes for two weeks. So back in 1888, the Berkshires were very remote. Well, yeah, I can imagine. Well, because I know every time on the show they go to the Berkshires, (laughs) they rent a car or a bus to take them out there. The trip is quite long. So I can only imagine before anything was actually really that developed out there. Holy cow. Yeah. And then when they're getting out there, it's to their massive home that Uh, might not have... 
what was there one episode I was watching where it's like one of their houses didn't have air conditioning and like that was the drama of the episode. Yeah. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> uh, supplies like food, milk, and coal, very important for creating heat in those days. Mm-hmm quickly dwindled and it doesn't sound like anti-price gouging laws were a thing yet because it's reported that these now highly valuable goods quickly started going to the highest bidder oh and my not gosh to, yeah regular customers mm-hmm. uh it reminds me of one of the last like major hurricanes i heard about like a gas station charging 17 dollars for a bottle of water or something yeah and, uh profiteering is that Yes. yes. Yeah. Very illegal. That was shut down real quick. But yeah, back then, I can only imagine. Oh, yes. How horrible. So that's why, yeah, helping people with ladders is like the worst of people's problems because people couldn't get food or coal or anything like that. Yeah, you're like, well, I've got a soft pillow of snow beneath me. I'll just take my chances jumping into that, see if I can get out. Yeah. A big <laughs> to your ladder. <laughs> yeah. That's the other thing I thought was like, well, how high can you be? And snow's pretty suck. Can you slide down? I'm not real sure what the, yeah, I just, yeah. Yeah, I look at snow a little bit differently, though, after my backpacking trip in New Mexico, where (laughs) a guy that we were with, uh, we lost the trail, and he boldly went out by himself. He's, like, over six feet tall, and was like prancing across this snowy area <laughs> trying to find the trail and just found himself like chest deep in snow all of a sudden he like fell through and he was by himself and thankfully he was able to get out and everything was okay but for a brief period of time i think he panicked and then when he came back and told us the story i secondhand also panicked. Panicked. Yeah. <laughs> you're like it's like quicksand but snow what yeah. happens oh the idea of being trapped in an avalanche is so overwhelming to me it's no i think mulan gave me nightmares for that very reason like watching people animated people and horses <laughs> get sucked under an avalanche of snow yeah it it makes me claustrophobic yeah not truly not knowing which way is up or down mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. oh and how overwhelming it must be to try to find someone i mean i know they have dogs that can help with that now but what if you didn't have a dog you're just trying to find someone Impossible. I really actually, yeah, I hadn't even thought about the disorientation and not knowing, wow, uh, new facet to that fear I hadn't thought about. Yeah, go ahead and sit on that one for a while. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Oh, my God. <laughs> Please don't do an avalanche next week. I should do an avalanche. That's a great idea. No. Oh, my okay, God. I'm on it. Thank you. You bet. Uh, so although it's not explicitly stated in any of the sources that I found for this, I have to assume that these shortages persisted for a while after the snow melted because thousands of both wild animals and livestock were killed in the freeze. Ah. Uh. Right. So this only talks about people who went without for like the duration of the storm or maybe like a week or two after. But think about it. If your milk cows die or your, you know, I don't know what else kind of livestock they have, but like you can't get dairy. You can't get the meats. Your milk cows, your bacon pigs, your, your everything. Your bacon pigs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those don't just grow up real quick. They, you, they you take time. They do. They take time. Oh my gosh. How horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So what did we learn from this catastrophic storm? I hope something. 
But yeah, yeah, I think we did for one. And on a lighthearted note, always keep a well-stocked bar. Uh, Which is my number one rule in life in general, but you know. Uh, While we've just gone over some of the more grim stories from the storm in Springfield, Massachusetts. Maybe also entertainment. Have some card games available. We're getting there. Okay. So let me me illuminate the other side of this. We're getting there. But in Springfield, Massachusetts, once people were generally safe and accounted for, it's reported that groups gathered at hotels downtown to revel in merriment. Oh, that's and fun. Booze. Oh, yeah. Okay. But, but, but the booze. Sure. Because what else are you going to do? You know? I can't even imagine how bored I would be with no food, no, no power, no power in 1880-something. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, you man. go down to the, the local hotel, lo- local watering hole, and you sing songs. Um, an interesting note, many sources called the group of people that did this in Springfield, Massachusetts, the, quote, Knights of Cork. But when I tried looking for what this group was, uh, what they represented, are they historical, where are they from? Nothing. Nothing turned up. So maybe this is just what they referred the referred to the temporary assembly of party animals as um because it's a it's a cool name the knights of cork cork c-o-r-k like like a wine cork or a champagne cork well i was like maybe they were irish and it's like county cork ireland county cork ireland or something we hail from there sure do Along with, I think, everybody else. Everyone from Ireland, yeah. Literally, every Irish immigrant in the United States came from Cork. Yeah. Um, okay. I really want to figure out what's going on there. It bothers me that there are no answers. I know. Because when I just wrote this down, I thought, I wonder is what kind of, or who, they sound very mysterious. Maybe I need to do a deep dive. Couldn't. So, wow! You tell me, maybe if list fellow listener, uh, if you know, Is it please email us. Of a knight, if you are a knight of Cork. Every winter, we pass down the story, <laughs> the tradition of the Great White Hurricane. Uh, yeah, would love to. So let us know. Um, and then the other, and certainly the more impactful lesson learned was that we needed to start putting our essential services like telegraph, water, and gas lines underground to insulate them from disaster and make them more accessible to repair during those disasters. Because that's what made this in part so catastrophic because things froze obviously immediately and no one could get to them to repair them. It was just a mess. This is also the logic that spurred, yeah, mm -hmm, you have the Great White Hurricane to thank for that idea, including the logic that spurred the creation of the underground train, a.k.a. the subway, that broke ground in New York City just 10 years after this catastrophe and is still in use today. I don't think I realized the subway was from 1890s. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. I did not know that. It is cool until you realize that maybe some of that infrastructure is, I mean, I'm sure a lot of it has been replaced. I'm just speaking from Oh, not all of it, though. (laughs) No. Uh, Like the tunnels themselves. I just remember living in Chicago. One of the facts that you learn when you're on, like, tours, or maybe Andrew told me this in an engineering class when they're learning about um, safety factors, that the L's were not built to be in use for as long as they have been. Oh, that's 
that's but fun. They were, yes, yeah, and they were. Um, they I think they came relative, like not much later, but later than the underground in New York. And I think they were meant for use like thirty or fifty years, and those suckers have been in use for seventy, hundred. I don't know, like a very long time. What, so what is meant to happen after their original expiration date? I don't know. I don't know if it's like a materials kind of thing. Like you need to update the the materials, the treatments on the metals. Either way, the stuff that we use now to build trains and train platforms and all the infrastructure that goes into that is infinitely better than it was when they were first built. So I have to imagine just a little facelift couldn't hurt. I wonder what the consequences of that are exactly. I mean, because d- d- didn't the subways in New York flood pretty recently or like some of them is that yeah, related the, the to the hurricane yeah isn't that real is that related to this at all? i mean i know that was obviously a weather issue but does infrastructure have anything to do with the fact that the subways was flooding that subways were flooding honestly i don't want to misspeak i was under the impression that it was the rising water level like because well, yeah, I mean, obviously, it's an overwhelming amount of water. There are some, like, as you would call them, acts of God that would overwhelm any sort of infrastructure. But I was just curious that if they're, I'm sure having an underground transportation system, you have to prepare for something like flooding to happen. So I just wonder if part of the reason why the systems were overwhelmed was because of failing infrastructure. Quick Google search yielded from both uh, Bloomberg and NPR that they are attributing the flooded subways to the extreme rainfall okay. that is a result of climate change and just the, in, you know. Yeah. New York was not built to withstand, these subways were not built to withstand like this level of rainfall and the rising sea levels, etc. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't. Did you? Did my question make sense? <clears throat> yes. Oh, okay. yes, yes, yes. Okay. But it's. I don't think the infrastructure. It's not a. It's not an infrastructure failure because they, it wasn't built to accommodate. Okay. This level of rain. Yes. Yeah. It's not that, that it sense. wasn't built to accommodate flooding. It wasn't built right. to accommodate that. That. Yeah. Much flooding. Okay. Yeah. We're on the same page. Same. Shape. Again, very brief Google search. I have to imagine this is a very complex issue, but word on the first page of Google is. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, that doesn't make me feel good about that. Really glad that the one time I've been to New York City, I never rode the subway. So that would have freaked me out. That's what your takeaway from this? You're glad you've never ridden the subway because of how old it is? It's not so bad. Take away from the last minute of your dialogue. I mean, wow, what a crazy experience. I'm sorry. You sum up. Um, I mean, big bad blizzard. We learned some lessons. Keep sure your bar did. stocked. Which do- Which does remind me that I need to prepare for this cold Nebraska winter I'm about to experience. Yeah, you do. You need to get your Knights of Cork together. (laughs) Get some card games. Bonnie and I are our own Knights of Cork. (gasps) Oh my god, Bonnie, that's a perfect, that's a great, you got your Irish lass with you. 
think it's Scottish. Bonnie said, it comes from a Scots language word, Bonnie, pretty attractive, or the French, bon, good. Yeah. That is in turn derived from the Latin word, bonus, good. <laughs> Great. Okay, so it is Scottish. True. Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Interesting. Turns out you researched your baby's name. Sure did. Who knew? Yeah. And your baby Clyde is going to be a great companion to her. Partners in crime, literally. <laughs> uh, yeah, you should. After last winter, you might also want to prepare. Yeah. Yes, I also might want to get a generator. I don't know. Yeah, Go man. solar. I don't know. We're going to try to get a generator before the winter after the last huge storm that blew through. Man, it was a tough, tough summer, guys. Pay attention to climate change, guys. <laughs> Please do. Pay attention to your local climate and obsessively look at your radars, guys. <laughs> uh, okay. Excellent job, Bailey. You did wonderfully. Oh, thank you so much, Moo. Thank you for participating and uh, sticking in there with me. Sticking in there with me? Sticking with me through it all. Yeah, you shouldn't say. You no. should cut that other one. Yeah, That was weird. And thank yeah. you to Kels for uh, the recommendation. That was yes. so great. Thank you so much. And thank you, dear listener, best friend. We hope you're here with us again next week. Remember, new episode every week. Tell your friends. Tell your dog. Tell your dog groomer. I thought you were about to come up with a sign-off just right then. Remember to. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Like a sad attempt at a sign-off? No, I still don't have a sign-off. Remember, stay prepared. A prepared best friend. That makes us sound like a preparedness, like a doomsday podcast or something, a prepper podcast. Uh, We are not that. I mean, a little bit, but not. Um, no, that's probably the worst part of it. We talk about disasters with, without actually like coming up with tactical ways to prevent or survive them. Like this one. What are we going to do? I don't know. Guess get a generator. Like, yeah. I mean, that's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea, but it's like not all if we were true preppers, probably not all we could or should recommend. That's true. I don't think I want to be a prepper, though. I don't, oh, no, I don't, I don't either. Mentally or emotionally, that's something I can take on. No, I gotta fly by the seat of my pants. Keep it, keep it fresh. Keep it hot. Yeah. Um. Well, you Bailey, work on that sign off and get back to us next week. <laughs> Will do, Madison. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna come up with the most horrifying avalanche story I can possibly find for you. No, please don't. I'm gonna do it. This was great, Bailey. Excellent job. Back at you, Moo. We'll see everybody. Nope. We'll. Oh my god. Would, do well, you want to be on YouTube? Is that where you would rather be right now? Are we not good enough for you? I want to be where the people are. Wow. Okay. No, I'm perfectly fine being right here. Thank you so much for listening with us this week. We had a blast. We will we did. be with you next week in your car, in your earphones. Uh, someone is out. playing us on their Alexa, and that is really exciting to me. So that's great. We'll be with you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.